everyone, I'm Hannah Lloyd. And I'm Charlotte Gilfillan. Welcome to our podcast, Women in Wellies. Each episode, we will be inviting a guest to share their stories, experiences and lessons of working and living in rural Scotland. We want to get to know the real women behind the wellies and share them with you, our listeners. Welcome to episode 10 of the Women in Wellies podcast. Today, we are joined by one of my oldest and dearest friends, Margaret Nobbs. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. How are you, ladies? Very well, indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much for letting me come on to your wonderful podcast. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on as well. I think you've been one of our biggest fans so far, so it's a pleasure to have you. Definitely, definitely. I absolutely love it. I think what you're doing is brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, Why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, my name is Margaret Nobes. I work with my husband. We are self-employed fencing contractors working across Aberdeenshire, um, stock fencing for farmers mostly. Uh, I originally come from Medicula in the Outer Hebrides from a crofting family where we have sheep and cows and the usual crops that go along with the crofting life. I try as much as possible to get home as much as I can to help out about at least five times a year to do all sorts of things. And yeah, so kind of split between East Coast and West Coast, working outside. That's me. And what prompted the move over from Benbecula over to the mainland? I left originally to go to college. I went to the Scottish Agricultural College at Crabson, where I met the wonderful Charlotte Gavillan. Um, I went over to do a degree in agriculture um, and for the three-year degree, but after two years, homesickness just kicked in so much. I couldn't, I just couldn't stay. Um, I So I just had to move back home. But obviously, when you're young like that, the mainland life is very attractive. Ended up moving back over to the mainland again and worked at uh, Thainston at the livestock auction mart there. And... Yeah, I met, met my husband and the rest is the say is history. And what does Gordon think of island life? Has he been back across with you quite a lot? Well, we did we did move back when the kids were little. We moved back for a year. Um, it, it wasn't the right place for him. Where we were on the mainland before that wasn't the right place for me. And we just needed to find a place that fitted for the two of us. So we came back over to where we are now. Both absolutely love it. Um, so when I go over to the islands with the kids throughout the year. He stays at home looking after all the animals and things. Um, we do have a plan to retire there when the when it's my turn to take over the croft when dad's finally finished. Um, he's, he said he will come over. So hopefully that will that will go ahead. But um, yeah, at the time it just wasn't right for him. So we're happy the way everything's working out just now with me back and forth. You've kind of got the best of both worlds at the moment, haven't you? Because you've got like mainland life and everything that goes along with that and yet still being able to get home quite frequently as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I can do help out as much as I want on the croft, but I don't have the stress of it all being on my shoulders, <laughs> you know. Um, and yeah, life at the moment here and work at the moment here um, in the East Coast, I'm absolutely loving it. So yeah, it really is the best of both worlds. I'm a very lucky lady. How did you get into the fencing side? Well, Gordon is a self, was a self-employed fencer. He started, it feels like, many, many moons ago. So I would do the odd day with him here and there. When the kids were little, it obviously depended on school pickups, if it was close enough to make it worthwhile heading there for the day. 
did all like the admin stuff and doing the books for him and everything. And then a couple of years ago, he had a bad accident. Um, running with a sheep and he ruptured his bicep um, it completely ruptured and he obviously had to take a lot of time off work and there was a lot of time for recovering and if anyone knows Gordon he doesn't do not doing work well um, it, it doesn't fit with him and he was desperate to get back to work so I said right I'll come back with you when you're you know almost ready I'll come back with you I'll do all the heavy lifting and you could just stand and watch and he was quite happy with that so this was going to be for a couple of months till he was back ready and I'm still here. I haven't left. Uh, we very surprisingly work very well together, which nobody is more surprised than the two of us. Ten plus years ago, that would not have worked. It would not have happened. But we manage, we rub along very well together. We work well together. And I absolutely love it. Margaret, I love that story actually of how you got involved working with Gordon and great to hear that it's worked out because you hear of so many, so many marriages where that isn't, that isn't quite, the, that isn't quite the case. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things we, we, we talk to all our guests about is things that kind of inspire them. Um, so I guess what's inspired you? Uh, well, other than the need to put food on the table and get out there and work, um, I think coming from an island, it's very much a like outside lifestyle and I've always been an outdoor girl if that's what you want to call it um office an office job is just not for me um so being outside being able to work outside it's it's just everything to me um and the older I get and I, you, you look back more and a real inspiration for me is my granny and my great granny who were tenaciously hard-working women who worked their land, who raised their families, who kept stock in a world which is so far removed from today in terms of how hard it was for them. Um, it's just, I, I don't know, I just, I'm in absolute awe of them and all that sort of generation of how, how they worked and how they got on with it, but with a love and a passion for what they did at the same time. And that's what it is for me when I'm back home on the croft I just love it I love working with my dad I love working with the animals and just being able to be outside and be part of the nature and the world as it were and here when I'm fencing I'm helping people which I absolutely love as well because the farmers can't do much if they don't have their fences you know fencing might not sound like a, an amazing wow job but it's needed and it's helpful and it just really makes me want to do the best job I can so that they can keep their farms going, which keeps their families going. And I think that's that's what keeps me going. Yeah, it's all about community, isn't it? It's that. And I think that's what you hear time and time again from people from the islands. So I'm like island obsessed. If anyone follows me on social media, they'll be well aware this year. I'm fully committed to islands. 100 percent done. Lewis, Harris, Barra and Aaron already this year and uh, plenty more to come but the um but I love when you meet islanders and they just everything's about who you know and how you can all help each other and interconnect and I love that you've brought that to what you're doing on the mainland as well yeah absolutely I think I think coming from an island you you work together more closely with your your neighbors and your community you have to everyone works together and helps each other and it's just it's such a lovely way to to be and to to live your life um, and it's a very they're all close-knit and you you know who you are you know where you're from um, in in Gaelic everyone 
you call it so your swanyo gets who you are so you would you would be called your your pay your father's or your if um your mother's like their name your grandparents you know you, your names are all together so they know who you are through your generations um you're very grounded you're very connected to the place you're from and the people you're from which is inspiring as somebody from the mainland that that does still exist that kind of connection to heritage and everything that's gone before because it's so easy you know I've moved somewhere where none of my family are from my family are actually all English and you know nobody nobody lived in Scotland till we did and you know all of these things you don't have that kind of deep-rooted heritage in a place whereas I totally just love that you do basically (laughs) yeah I think I think I thought the mainland was quite removed from that um when I was growing up thinking you know but as I moved here, the way I'm in just now, we've been here for 14 years. Um, it's it's like it's, you do see that here as well. You see, like in this area, the families are all living close together, and I, I do see it, that connection to that in this area of like the little pockets you've got of the communities and the families on the mainland as well. Which, like I said, when I was growing up, I didn't see that. Well, not that I didn't see it, but I didn't think it was there. Um, so it's really, really nice to come here and see that, especially now as I'm fencing. Um, you're going around you know well you're fencing for a family today but they they're cousins of this family and they come and help and you see them and it's you see all the same people moving around and helping each other as well yeah yeah so nice so the only the other thing you put in your notes Margaret that I want you to talk about is that you your favorite time of year on the croft um in your notes I definitely definitely surprised me in your notes so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah my absolute favorite time of the year is lambing um which people who don't do lambing might think oh that's lovely all the cute little lambs and people who know think why on earth is that your favorite time of the year it's you're sleep deprived you're working hard every day gets busier because there's more uh, animals to look after there's more feeding there's more if they're going out in the fields there's more checking so you're busier every day you've got to keep an, a kind of memory of everything that's happened the day before um all the less and less sleep as the weeks go on but I just absolutely love it it's hard graft but it's rewarding well hopefully it's rewarding unless you've got a bad year but um yeah it's just my absolute favorite time of the year I can't explain it it's just brilliant and I've, I've seemed to have passed that on to my daughter as well Throughout the year, she's like, oh, it's only so long to lambing. Oh, it's only so long to lambing. The last couple of years, she's really, really um, picked up and really been helping and doing the lambing herself and sorting out the feeding. And it's brilliant for us because we've got an extra pair of hands that you can really rely on. So she's definitely got the lambing bond as well. <laughs> That's good. I think, though, like something like lambing, you do hear a lot of farmers say it's like one of their favorite times or they really love it or whatever. And I think you kind of have to, to be able to do that. I was on a visit to an estate this week and was talking to a shepherd and I said, what's your favorite part of the job? And she said, lambing. And I, and I, you know, it does, it does in way, in many ways make a lot of sense. Yeah. It, it is nice when it quiets down and you can, you know, you can get a few more hours sleep at night though. <laughs> I know how much you love being at home especially at lambing time, but you also had some plans to do some travelling at one stage, didn't you? I have. I'm not the sort of person who would think, oh, let's get a backpack and off we go across Europe. I'm not that sort of traveller, but um, I always had, and I don't know where it's come from, but a passion to go to New Zealand. And when I was younger, I 
I'd started looking into it and I'd caught on paperwork and I was thinking, right, I'm either six months or a year. I wasn't quite sure how long. I'm going to do some farm work and tour about and was really getting set and planned for it. And then um, my brother took his own life, which, as you can imagine, put a stop to everything in the world around us. And it was obviously out of the blue. It was uh, just, as I say, it stopped our world completely. But we are a very, very close family, a very, very strong family. And uh, as I've said already, like the community around us, so leaning on each other, leaning on our community really, really helped us get through that. Um, so, yeah, New Zealand just dropped off my radar and my world, obviously. And then as time went on and I started thinking about it again, I thought, I just, I can't, I can't be away from my family at such a time. And I didn't want my parents to have me on the other side of the world um, after such a thing. So I thought, well, a few years time, we'll come back to it. And, you know, I was young enough. I thought this will be fine. But uh, a few years down the line, I was then married with two kids. And again, New Zealand was off my radar again for a completely different reason. So never quite made it. Um, all the kids are almost just about grown up enough that I can go and I don't have to take them. So it still is back on the plan someday. It's on the one day list to get back back to New Zealand well back to New Zealand just to New Zealand actually but the plan's still there. Having gone through that experience of losing your brother how do you think that's kind of shaped you? Um, I think that's, a, that's quite a difficult one to answer actually. Um, it's kept our family closer I think Um, maybe that's why I want to be back home as much as I am throughout the year. Um. I think in terms of now that I'm a mother, um, it kind of, I try and instill in my kids, do whatever the hell you want to do. Be whatever you want to be, just as long as you're happy, because you have no idea how long you've got. Um, and I really try and, you know, tell, encourage them to just, you know, doesn't matter what society says you have to be or what you know, don't, don't think about what society tells you to do. Just go and do it and live your life and be happy. Happiness is the key to all, I suppose. Um, I, I would like to think I would be like that anyway, but I think because of losing him, I'm a bit more like that, I would say. Obviously, COVID put paid to kind of going home quite as much in 2020. How was that for you? Awful. Absolutely, devastatingly awful. Um was all set to do the ferry booked and everything booked for lambing and then the world just shut down and I didn't know could I go home could I not go home I couldn't get an answer from everyone everyone was saying it's essential travel I was like well I think it's essential but is someone going to stop me I, I just now looking back I know I could have gone and I should have gone um but at the time nobody really had any information and not being home for that lambing honestly almost broke me it was the hardest hardest time out of the whole lockdown out of all the the time in covid that was the hardest part for me and when we were allowed to start traveling and i remember the day they said right booking on the ferry is gonna it's come again and the their site crashed and i managed to get on it took 45 minutes to book that ferry ticket and there was just this like little circle on the computer screen the whole time and i was just waiting for it to crash out and the relief when that finally said, 
you, your tickets are booked. And I got a ping on my phone saying, this money's come out of your bank. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. It was just the most elation I felt through all of it. It was absolutely fantastic. Is that one of the longest periods you've gone not being home? Probably, yeah. Yeah, it was. And I think it was, had I just not been going home because other things were going on, but I think it was someone saying, you can't go home. You cannot be there. And plus it was lambing time and knowing all the pressure at home. I could be there, I could be helping. It was, yeah, it was horrible. It was also the difficulties in the the kind of perception of people travelling across from the mainland to the islands because there was such a low infection rate on the islands and obviously, you know, higher in the mainland and that kind of transfer and stuff. And um, yeah, just a lot of sensitivities around that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, there was, I mean, there was a lot of people up in arms saying the island should be shut to everyone. Nobody should be allowed to get on and off. And I'm going, no, you can't let that happen. I have to get home. But um, yeah, when we did finally get back over, it was just sheer joy. Yeah. When did you manage to get back over then? It was the summertime, I think, if I remember correctly, the summer of 2020. Um, Yeah. But oh, it was just, it was so horrible not getting over. It was so horrible. So we've talked, uh, Margaret, a lot about like life on the croft and and kind of that you're in line to kind of take over that take over that croft. How have you found that in like a sector that I know is perceived to be very male dominated? Ah, uh, perceived there is the word, Hannah. Um, yeah, perceived. Uh, yeah, I don't believe agriculture is at all as male dominated as. For some reason, the world wants you to think. If you're not involved in it, there's a there's a massive perception of all farmers are male. Everybody in every sector of agriculture is male, but they're not. This podcast wouldn't exist if that was true. Um, coming, like I say, I can only my experience and my standpoint. That's all I've got to go off of. Um, other people obviously might have different stories, but I've always found that. Um, there are women in agriculture absolutely everywhere. If you're in it, you'll see them everywhere. Um, f- from home, like my granny was a crofter, my great granny was a crofter, my mum's a crofter, my neighbours are crofters um, who are women. Um, and I've always seen that. And, you know, there's in crofting, you very, very rarely find a crofter who can make a, a full time living from crofting. That's just a fact. So, as usually is, the the men go off to their work. Well, who's looking after everything? It's the wife, it's the mother, it's the daughter, it's the sister. It's, And that's what I grew up seeing. It's, you know, my dad would go off to work and my mom and granny would go down and feed the cows and milk the cows and would do the lambing and do everything, everything that needs to be done. doesn't matter what sex you are. The animals aren't going to say, oh, you're not going to milk me today. You're a woman. Um, so I always found that. And then as I moved to the mainland and I was working at... Um, Thainston first well there's women farmers coming in all the time it's them that know where all this always the woman that knows where the cow passports are kept they know the important bits um yeah so it's like I say if you're not in agriculture I don't know why there's this seems to be this huge perception that agriculture is, is a male dominated industry when for me personally where I'm standing inside it is absolutely not at all and I think like I am somebody who's kind of come into the rural sector and I think the same is true across lots of parts of rural that it's deemed it's seen to be very um 
male dominated but you don't have to dig very far to find that there's loads of women across the whole rural sector and actually a lot of male farmers or even estate owners or people I've met say you know, none of this would work if it wasn't for my wife or my partner or somebody like a woman at home keeping stuff going so it's absolutely essential that there's everyone's involved yeah oh absolutely it, it wouldn't work without us mm-hmm. yeah and I think like you said Margaret it's a massive part of why Charlotte and I wanted to do this is to kind of raise the profile of women who maybe are kind of behind the scenes or they're not always the one who's seen I don't know out doing whatever and uh the and to kind of give those women more of a voice so that everyone does know there's lots of women working working across the rural. yeah absolutely and to show the people that are thinking oh I like the look of that but mm, there's no women there we're here we're all here we're everywhere you can't get rid of can't, can't get away from us one thing that has come shining through already is just how proud you are of your heritage, and rightly so, and how important it is for you to continue on that crofting legacy. Everywhere I look going back, we're all crofters. We've all worked the land in some way, um, and I think it's just it's just in me. That's who I am. That's um, When I was little, my granny used to always call me a land army girl, um, it's yeah, I can't I can't see anything other for me than well, working outdoors, but knowing that I've going home at some point and I will be carrying on the croft, um, yeah, it brings me a lot of joy, you know, to know that I get to do that. I don't have to do it, and I've been told you don't have to do it. If you want to sell it, it's yours to sell, you know, everyone else is gone, there's you're not you're not gonna disappoint anyone. Um but knowing that I get to have my chance at it, you know, you know, that, yeah, really is something I am looking forward to. Well, that leads us very nicely on to the final bit of the podcast. And every episode, we ask our guests what their advice would be for the next generation of rural women in Scotland. So, Margaret, what would yours be? I thought there's just so much, so much that I could say. But uh, the one thing that really popped into my head is something that's always been instilled with us in us since we were children was respect your elders because I've been there and done it all before you. Um, and I think it's something that really resonates with me. Um, but, you know, the people who've come, the generations who've come before you, is, if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be where you are now. What you're doing wouldn't be how it is now. Um, in terms of, for example, like the crofting side of it, when I look, think like the couple of generations, even my dad's generation and the, before them, the changes that they have seen in terms of, never mind everyday life and technology, but just as a working a croft, um, the way things have changed, the way things have moved on is absolutely massive, the changes they've gone through. And without that changes and without them making the decisions they made and the changes they made and having the sleepless nights and wondering where the next meal was coming from and are they doing the right thing? Well, I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, I wouldn't have, maybe wouldn't have a croft to one day go to um, if it wasn't for them. So looking back at what's gone before you and the people who've done that work before you, um, I, I think is a, is a good it's a good thing to always remember and always think of. That's not to say there's no room for change. That's not to say you shouldn't strive for better. You shouldn't, um, if you have an idea, go for it and do it. But just remember where 
the standing point you're starting from has come from and who it's come from. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I would say is just think about what's gone before you. Don't, I'm not, like, there's lots of people who would say, oh, but so-and-so so stubborn and they won't change and, oh, granddad won't let me, you know, do X, Y, Z like I want to do. But your granddad's lived through a lot and he's changed his practicing ways a lot to get you to where you are or um, in any walk of life you you're not the first person to have your idea or you're not the first person to want to make that change um so just you know be gentle with the people around you if they're if you think they're being stubborn it's not they just they've lived through it all already and yeah think about them that's what i would say anyway yeah well each generation has experienced the same because each generation you know, have wanted to do things probably differently than the one before. Each generation have had their own ideas, but really important that you recognise and appreciate and value what's come before. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, my my dad actually does a, um, a crofting course at the local secondary school at home in Vecula, and they follow the, the crofting calendar as they go through their course throughout the year. But no matter what it is they're doing, the first thing he always tells them about is how it used to be done and why it's done the way it is now, which I think is so important because, um, okay, the, the farming life on the East Coast is quite different, as you would imagine, from the crofting life on the West Coast. But um, the big combines and the big machinery and the big, huge fields that everyone's working now, it didn't start off like that. And it's easy enough to think, oh, this stuff's amazing and we're just, what's the point of looking back? But you have to think, where where did that come from? And have a bit of appreciation because when it's your turn to hand it over or to finish doing what you're doing, you're going to want to be appreciated for the work you put in to get the next generation to where they're going to be. So that would be my, my advice for the future is just think about where you've come from and why you've come from there because you, you'll get ideas from the past as well. You'll, you know, you'll hear stories about how things were done or how people thought, or, you know, you can pick up so much and then tweak it to how it's going to work for you at that, at that time. Equally for Casey, and the example that she's seeing you set with how you approach the kind of crofting life and um, respecting your elders and things, it's obviously something that you've instilled quite deeply into her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, she she loves hearing the old stories and she loves, like I say, going back home and work in the croft. Winston, my son, is not interested in any way, shape or fashion in anything to do with uh, animals or land or anything at all, which is absolutely fair enough. Um, I, I absolutely disagree with the thought that children must follow their parents and they must go into the same industry and they must, if they have a farm, they must be farmers too. Um, I do not agree with that at all. So yeah, Winston couldn't care less about any of that sort of stuff, but Casey's really getting into it. Um, obviously one day the croft will become theirs what they do with it is their decision i don't think she'd like to be a full-time crofter or farmer at this moment in time but she's definitely got an interest and it's good for her to know why she's got that interest why you know where it's come from and hear the stories and know there is there is something she can do in the future if she chooses to yeah just having those opportunities yeah absolutely thank you so much for joining us today margaret and sharing your stories experiences and lessons uh, thank you very much. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, keep up the good work, ladies. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank you very much. If you want to connect with Margaret on social media, you'll find all her details in the show notes. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram at Women and Wellies Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest news. And you can email us with any questions on womeninwelliespodcast at gmail.com and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time.